Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm John Hodge, joined by J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing Three Down Nation's apparently controversial uniform rankings. Over under win totals for the 2023 CFL season. League Commissioner Randy Ambrosi wanting the CFL to have more swagger. A couple of rookie QB standouts from the preseason. And the Ottawa Red Blacks suffering a couple of key injuries. But first, JC... Chad Kelly didn't play in Toronto's first preseason game, despite being listed as their starter due to elbow tightness. The team classified it as a precautionary move. He is supposed to start the preseason finale for them on Thursday. Meanwhile, Jeremiah Masoli will not play in either of Ottawa's preseason games, with head coach Bob Dice being noncommittal about whether or not Masoli will be ready for the start of the regular season. JC, which quarterback's health concerns you more? There was some red flags thrown up when Kelly didn't play a game that he was supposed to play, but I think that situation is relatively minor by the looks of it. He's going to be good to go. I would be shocked if he didn't get reps in their second preseason game. I think he's going to be healthy for the regular season, but Jeremiah Mazzoli is a real question mark. And it seems the more and more you hear comments from inside that Red Blacks organization right now, from Bob Dice and from general manager Sean Burke, it doesn't sound like he's going to be ready to go week one. And that was sort of the mark we were all told is, yeah, he's going to be adjusting slowly in training camp. It's going to be a bit of a process, but he's going to be good to go once the regular season starts. It doesn't seem like that's the case anymore. And to me, that's very concerning if you're the Ottawa Redblacks. Now, I'm a big believer in Jeremiah Mazzoli. I still am. In fact, uh, we recently submitted our balance for the CFL top 50 players holding on uh, TSN. And Mazzoli still made my ballot. But there's no question that this is a prove-it year for him because he hasn't been able to stay 
healthy over the last three seasons. And that's not really his fault. No one could have predicted what happened with Garrett Marino last season. But if you're not on the field, that's a real problem when you're a franchise quarterback. So hopefully it's just one week missing here for for Mazzoli and, and he's back on the field come week two. But it's starting to become a serious concern for the Ottawa Red Blacks. Well, something that I think is easy to forget about Masoli is he's 34 years old. He's going to turn 35 in August. He's somebody who kind of quietly came into the CFL with Edmonton in 2012, was involved in a trade that set him to the Ticats in 2013. And it took him a, a number of years, right, to to start for this club. He he was with the Ticats when Henry Burris was the starter, Zach Kolaris was the starter. It, it took him a while to work up into that first string role. So I think a lot of people assume he's maybe younger than he actually is. And the older you get, the harder it, it is to bounce back from injuries, right? That's just a well-known fact. And it is concerning, right? The initial uh, outlook for the Red Blacks was that Masoli was going to be ready for the start of training camp. And then that became, well, he'll be ready for the start of the regular season. And now it's become, well, we'd love it if he was ready for the regular season, but we're not quite sure. And that is a huge problem for that team. Nick Arbuckle, I think, is good enough to get you in and out of a few games. But I don't think Nick Arbuckle can take you to the playoffs in this league, even in the East Division. Tyree Adams, who's going to be starting their second and final preseason game is virtually unproven. He's got great legs, but my goodness, is he ever skinny back there? Six foot two, barely 180 pounds. Like I have serious questions about this team's quarterbacking. And let's also not forget, JC, the context of this situation for the Red Blacks. This franchise, their fans have not seen a victory at home in over a year. Those fans have completely lost their patience, which is not maybe totally fair to the current regime as it's still relatively new. But my my point is this team is not one that is going to have mercy from its fans if they start slowly. Now, one positive, week one, JC, they get to host the Montreal, or pardon me, visit the Montreal Alouettes who are currently at the bottom of our power rankings. That said, week two, they have to host the Calgary Stampeders, which is not the team that you'd probably optimally host if you're looking to get a win at home they do have a buy in week three i know the tsn panel was speculating that maybe the maybe the idea is you rest them for two weeks and then you get the buy you bring him back for week four by the way week four they've got edmonton that probably is a good week for Masoli to make his debut if it ends up being the case but i am concerned about this jc that is to me the answer to this question i do want to touch on kelly though because it is to me always a red flag when a player is listed as a starter and they don't end up seeing the field. And I get that it's preseason, and I get that Ryan Zinwitty talked about it being precautionary, all that stuff, and good for them for being precautionary with their new franchise guy. But Chad Kelly has had an interesting past. He had some trials, some tribulations. Uh, He was dismissed from a college football team. And when you are relied upon to be the guy, which he hasn't for a very long time, like he bounced around in the NFL as a backup for four years, He was playing underneath McLeod Bethel Thompson this past season. Being the guy is different. And though Toronto is not the hottest bed, right, in the terms of the CFL, in terms of attention from fans and conversation, all that stuff, having a team on your back is still a lot of pressure. 
And uh, I have, so, I'm not saying he, he didn't live up to that. What I am saying is he needs to do that this upcoming preseason game. They're hosting Ottawa in their preseason finale. He's got to go out there and he's got to give that team and the fans in Toronto some reassurance that he is the guy. I don't think he has to play a lot, but I want to see him play two, three series. I want to see him put together at least one really good drive that preferably ends in a touchdown. I agree. And by all accounts, Chad Kelly has looked really, really good in training camp. Our own Ben Grant, of course, was at the Argos double blue scrimmage a, a couple of you know, last week or so. Uh, and, and Kelly lit it up. I think he was 10 of 12 for like 150 yards and two TDs or something ridiculous like that. And in limited action, obviously against his own team. But if he can do something like that, or at least a shortened down version of that in one or two series in a preseason game, that's going to put a lot of people's minds at ease in Argos nation, because you're right. We don't know what we're going to get from Chad Kelly. And I think it's a fair assessment to say that this season for Toronto with him at quarterback is either boom or bust, right? There is no middle ground here. Either Chad Kelly is going to show, show up with his incredible talent and put this team over the top again. And we're talking about a guy who can be an elite quarterback in the CFL or those problems he's had in his past are going to rear their ugly head. He's going to be unreliable. He's going to create too many turnovers. And we're going to be talking about Toronto finding a veteran quarterback in free agency next off season. There is no in between here. There is no time. It's not as if Chad Kelly is 23 years old, 25 years old, just coming into the league. He's 29. The time is now. This is his moment he has to seize it and he cannot afford to miss any time or to have a setback trevor harris will make his much anticipated debut with the saskatchewan rough raggers on friday where he's expected to play between one and two quarters against the winnipeg blue bombers Meanwhile, Cody Fajardo is expected to play for the Montreal Alouettes and indicated he'd like to play as much as possible, though head coach Jason Moss will, of course, have the final say. Which debut are you more excited for, Hodge? I'm more excited for Cody Fajardo's debut, and I will be there in person for Trevor Harris's debut. So maybe that's a weird answer. But I think at this point of his CFL career, we all know what Trevor Harris is, right? He's been in this league for a decade. He's been a starter for well over half that time. He's going to go out there. He's going to get the ball out quickly. He's going to make good decisions. He's not going to take a lot of risks. And I think he's going to run Kelly Jeffrey's offense, you know, efficiently. I think that that's going to be what what he does. And I think that's going to be what he does for most of the season. I think Cody Fajardo is much more boomer bust, right? You, you talked about Chad Kelly being kind of all or nothing. We have the Alouettes as our lowest ranked team in the power rankings. The Montreal Alouettes also are among the teams with the lowest over under win total that we're going to be talking about a bit later in the show. And he's a player who was the West division's most outstanding player for a reason in 2019 he is somebody who has been sensational and electrifying in this league now i don't think he has the greatest receiving core around him in montreal i think greg ellingson has a bit of a chip on his shoulder after the bombers didn't 
bring him back following last season. Ellingson, I think only played eight games last year, but man, when he was at his best, he was still a dominant player in this league. So I am most excited for what Cody Fajardo can do in La Belle Provence. He talked about being in the best uh, health, feeling the best he has in three years. When he spoke to the media, he talked about having some explosiveness back that he felt he maybe didn't have last season when his knee was hurt. And he's already talked about trying to silence his haters who maybe were speaking out against him during his time with the Riders. So I'm looking forward to Cody Fajardo's debut. It's likely he's not going to play all that much. My speculation is that he'll play maybe a quarter in that preseason finale, but I what I want to see from there is I want to see 2019 Cody Fajardo, because if we see 2019 Cody Fajardo, JC, this season and the East division as a whole got a lot more interesting. If we go out there and we see the same Cody Fajardo who played in Jason Moss's offense in 2022, frankly, I'm not all that excited about what could be happening in, let's just be honest, the bottom half of the East division in 2023. For me, I'm going to go with, Trevor Harris and the reason why is because I think that offense around him is going to be more of a finished product and we're going to get more of a window into what that team is going to look like next season so he can step right in in his first couple series play a quarter two quarters with the starters his new receiving core that new Kelly Jeffrey offense and I think we can get a really solid impression of what that team will look like. You go over to Montreal, and the reality is, is they're going to be starting a couple of rookies at receiver. Um, those jobs may or may not be won right now. So we'll get a glimpse at who's in the front runner position. But as we've seen in the past, that could change by week five, right? Guys get an opportunity because of what they did in training camp. They don't cut it. Somebody else comes in, takes that job, looks like a stud. We may be several weeks into the season before we really find out what this Montreal Alouettes offense is going to be because they were so rigged for receiver talent and because they've suffered injuries to the likes of guys like Reggie White Jr. So there are some big question marks there. For some people, that's going to be a reason why you should watch that game and, and, and watch the Alouettes offense. But if we're talking strictly about quarterbacks, I think the performance by Harris is going to be more indicative of what he looks like in the season than Fajardo's is working with some new personnel. And we're going to talk about this more later in the show, but typically when players are at home or teams are at home, they play a bunch of their veterans and the opposite is true. When they go on the road, they play their rookies. Interestingly, I think Winnipeg is going to be fielding a very young roster when the riders come to town. So Trevor Harris might be at a bit of an advantage there because he will be playing despite being on the road, playing a very young Blue Bombers defense, but you do make a good point about the weapons, JC. Right now, if I were to rank the CFL's groups of receivers, I would probably have Montreal and Saskatchewan at the bottom, but that doesn't mean that come the midway point of the season, I would say the same thing, right? There's always the possibility of guys popping off the page uh, or guys surprising, right? Like Sean Bain, who was basically just a return specialist with the Calgary Stampeders this past year. I know Trevor Harris has already said he could be a candidate for like breakout player of the year because he is projected to be a starter with the riders. And, you know, we we've seen that happen before in this league, you know, Chad Owens was once just a great returner who never got the chance to play receiver. Brandon Banks, same thing was a great returner who never got the chance to play receiver. I'm not putting Sean Bain in that category now, 
But what I am saying is there is precedent for that type of move working out. But going into the year, I don't think they have enough proven targets uh, and with either club. And, and obviously that could make life a little bit more difficult for the guys under center. That being said, both teams should have solid running games. We know the Alouettes have a healthy William Standback. They've got Walter Fletcher, who I think is underrated. And then uh, Jeshrod Antwi is a Canadian who can kind of rotate in. The Riders, of course, Jamal Moore and Frankie Hickson is a very nice one-two punch. We'll have to wait and see what those offenses look like. Are they actually going to run the ball? I've asked that question several times of Jason Moss of the Alouettes. Are you going to run the ball? And I'm looking forward to learning the answer as soon as things get underway. I do think the the one last thing that needs to be said is we're coming off a season where a rookie receiver led the league in touchdowns and yardage in Dalton Schoen. So if Montreal can find the next Dalton Schoen, and that's a big task, they could flip their positioning right quick. They've got a couple of young guys they like, guys like Austin Mack, Tyler Sneed, who I've been watching closely this preseason. Maybe one of those guys can step up and change our opinion as well. And that is a great point, right? And and that does happen every year. There's at least one receiver somewhere across the league who becomes a household name. You're absolutely right. It was Dalton Schoen in 2022. For the Riders and Alouette's sake, let's hope that it's in one of those two markets in 2023. JC, Three Down Nation took the liberty of ranking all 24 uniforms heading into the CFL season, including nine home uniforms, nine away uniforms, and six alternate uniforms. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers were featured at the top and bottom of the list with the alternate jersey they have being at the bottom, 24, and their home jersey being at the very top at number one. Do you think our rankings, which, again, I say controversial because they drew up quite a stir on social media, what do you think we got right? Yeah, I I think we got most of it right, actually. Looking at the list, I was a little bit iffy going into the process because we have a lot of contributors, Hodge, and they have strong opinions about a lot of different things. I wasn't sure it was really going to line up with my assessment, but I don't think there's any egregious misses here, things that I definitely disagree with. Personally, the Hamilton Tiger Cats alternate uniform, I thought deserved to be lower than 12. I don't like their gray look. I I don't like gray on uniforms, period. I think it's an awful color to wear as a football team. So I'm lower on that uniform than maybe the consensus. And then I also thought the BC Lions gunmetal black is a top three uniform in the league, but it finishes at the fifth spot. So you can't complain too much about that for the rest of it. I thought it was basically spot on the, the uniforms at the top, Winnipeg, Saskatchewan's alternate Calgary's home uniform. Those ones are exceptional uniforms i thought montreal the montreal alouettes home jerseys was something i thought i was going to be higher on than everyone else but it turns out they're in the number six slot and everyone else likes them as much as i do so there were some surprises in that way but generally i saw eye to eye with the rest of our our writers yeah and for the just and this is reflected in the article but to reiterate the process we had all of our contributors score each uniform independently on a scale from one to 10. And what we did is we averaged out the score for each uniform and ranked them that way. So this was not just JC and I, or, or Justin Dunk and I, or, or whatever, uh, as a small group putting this together. So there's a large group, people from each market, 
reflected, including two from Saskatchewan. I know we had a lot of people questioning why the riders home and aways were so low um, or why the the alternates weren't number one. Well, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders alternates were literally number two out of 24. That's a pretty darn good number. But um, anyways, there, there were, again, I, I like the way that we went about this. Like you, JC, I thought that I was someone who's in the minority when it came to the Montreal Oets home uniforms. I really like them. I don't think they're an absolute grand slam, but I think they're a solid triple. And uh, I, I turns out about the minority at all. They, they rank number six, which is good. Uh, I'm also somebody who was not as high on the Toronto Argonauts new uniforms as I thought. And, and lo and behold, yes, other people do seem to agree with me. I will also say sometimes when a jersey gets on the field, it looks a little different than in the promo shots. Um, I thought that the Toronto Argonauts, having actually seen them now, like seeing the pictures, I didn't get to watch the live stream, unfortunately, of their first preseason against the Ticats because it went up against the Bombers game that I was actually writing off of. So I've just seen the highlights and I've just seen the pictures. But having seen them now, I think the Toronto Argonauts uniforms are worse in my book than they were originally. Once you get to see them in person out on the field, that like screamingly loud Cambridge blue monochromatic look, I think is frankly it's it's pretty bad um and so for them to score a 5.8 out of 10 i thought was deserved um one art one uniform i thought was too low was the ottawa red blacks away uniforms uh, they scored a 6.1 18th overall i like those quite a bit i like the plaid i like how how fresh and clean the red and the white uniforms look yes it needs more black given that the team's name is not the the red whites or the black whites it's it's the red blacks but i i think it's a good uniform and one uniform that has grown on me um this is the opposite of what's happened with the argos jersey that fog gray uniform that the bc lions have once i saw it on the field and i did get to watch most of that stream the the lions at riders preseason game I thought, okay, I don't think these are an upgrade necessarily over the Lions' old uniforms, but I think they are sharper than the 6.2 than they got on the whole. But obviously, I'm in the minority there, scoring them a little bit higher. So I like our rankings overall. And and one thing I will remind people about is one thing to get hung up on, like, oh, this jersey ranked like 19th out of 24. But something to keep in mind is every jersey from 19 to 11 scored somewhere in the sixes between a 6.1 and a 6.9 and every uniform from 10 to 4 ranked in the sevens between a 7.0 and a 7.9 so we're really splitting hairs here with some of these jerseys and that's why we incorporated the scores something that really stood out to me for instance was the calgary St. Peters home uniforms at third had an 8.0 saskatchewan was an 8.8 eight at number two so a big jump almost a full point from the third spot to the second spot and then the bombers home jerseys at number one had a 9.2 which again is almost a half point jump from the second spot so you know it's easy to get hung up on you know 17th versus 15th but at a certain point you know you're you're really splitting hairs to me the the you know you could almost look at the at the scores as like a tier list like everything below a six out of 10 is like the bottom tier. Anything above, say, an 8.5 is like top tier. And then you've got a few mid tiers in there. But thank you for everybody who read it. It's been very, uh, it's, it's been a very popular article of ours. I won't say everyone's liked it, um, but that's okay. That's, that's why we produce content is for people to say, yeah, I like this. Or no, you guys got it wrong. And here's why. And 
for something like obviously hard reporting, we can't be offering opinion and getting things wrong. But this is obviously not hard reporting. This is offering opinion about uniforms. So this is a good opportunity to have some fun. So we thank you for joining us in that fun. DraftKings has set projected win totals for all nine CFL teams for the 2023 season, with betters able to bet the over and under. What do you think is the best buy right now, Hodge? Well, we got lots of of really good feedback on our betting segment last week. If you want to place any bets on the CFL, please visit 3downnation.com and check out our odds tab. We've got all kinds of options for CFL betting for the 2023 season. That's a great way to support the site if you would like to do so. Um, the over-unders right now for DraftKings, I mean, I wrote a column this morning, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers is set as the highest, which I don't think should be a surprise to anyone, given that they've been in the last three great cup games. But it's 12.5 that's pretty high. I am taking the over on it. I don't think they're going to get back to 15 wins, but I do see this as a 13-win team. Uh, but of course, this is betting, right? And if Zach Kolaris tears an ACL in week one, the chances of Winnipeg hitting that over uh, plummet. So there is risk, of course, when placing any type of long-term, well, any bet in general, but certainly a long-term bet, there is obviously risk. To me, the best bet of this bunch looking across the league, I would say, for my money, is the Hamilton Tiger Cats under. Ten and a half wins is the current line for the Ticats for a team that I think is under a lot of pressure with the Great Cup being at home and has a million new pieces, right? Bo Levi Mitchell under center, James Butler in the backfield, Duke Williams as your deep threat receiver, Joel Figueroa as your new franchise left tackle. They've got new pieces all over the place and also on the defensive side of the ball. Ja'Garrett Davis, I mean, is, is returning after a year away at defensive end, but you know, I, I think that the secondary is very young. I have big questions about that. I have big questions about the depth at receiver. Uh, I have questions about their linebacking core to an extent. I think they're going to miss Javan Santos Knox. I think it's one of the most underrated players in the CFL. Now, I'm not saying for a moment I think the Ticats are going to be bad. I think they are going to be improved from a year ago. But uh, unless they get 2018 Bo Levi Mitchell, who's a player we haven't seen in almost a half decade at this point, I do not see them getting to 11 wins. I see them more as uh, somewhere in the 8 to 10 range. So therefore, I think the under, in my opinion, is a good buy for the Ticats. Yeah, that's there's some good lines here, I think. you know, I talked about last week on the podcast... Edmonton being a good bet for the Grey Cup. I think betting the over on them at six and a half is a good bet. And if Jeremiah Mazzoli is healthy, so maybe you want to wait on that one, I think over on Red Black seven and a half is another good bet. But what I'll go with is an under just like you, Hodge, and that's the Montreal Alouettes at seven and a half. Somebody is going to have to be the worst team in the East Division, which as we all know, tends to be the worst division and those teams tend to be in the two three four win range the alouettes to me look like that team just based on the struggles they've had this offseason you know i think danny machocha did an admirable job given the circumstance trying to put his team's his team together with all the ownership controversy that went into free agency 
but they just don't look like they have the weapons compared to other franchises in the CFL right now. Uh, I think the loss or the retirement of Jamal Roll last week really hurts them on defense. Now they're going to have to find somebody to replace one of their best free agent signings, a guy who is an all-star caliber cornerback. That's going to be a real challenge. And we've already talked about on this podcast, big question marks at receiver. And I've been vocal in the past. I don't think Jason Moss and Cody Fajardo are a good schematic fit. They get along fine, but I don't think their philosophies and their styles of play match up well. So to me, the Alouettes are going to finish at the bottom of the Eats division, and they're going to be under seven and a half wins if that happens, almost certainly. One more line I'll touch on that I think would be a potential good buy as the over is the Calgary Stampeders. This is a team that I do think has taken a step back. Well, that's not even an opinion. That's just a fact. They've not won a playoff game in four years three seasons now with the COVID canceled year in 2020. The the last time they won a playoff game was the gray cup in 2018. They lost the West semi in 19. They lost the West semi in 2021 and they lost the semi in 2022. And they, they lost a couple of those games by big margins, including a two touchdown loss this past season to a hobbling Nathan Rourke. Like you lost to Nathan Rourke on who, who was, who had one foot at the time. Uh, So I do have questions about the Stampeders and their overall direction. That being said, I'm not ready to call them a 500 team. Yes, Jake Mayer did not play well in the playoffs this past season. Yes, Jake Mayer did not look fantastic in a very limited sample size in their first preseason game. But to me, this is a team that's going to get the opportunity to beat up on the Edmonton Elks a little bit. I think their defense, like they have some of the best special teams in the, in the league. I think their defense is going to be perfectly solid. I question the decisions they've made personnel wise in their defensive line. Like I don't see why letting Sean Lemon walk and then signing Julian Hauser to a big contract makes any sense. I don't think Julian Hauser is as good as Sean Lemon. Obviously the stamps disagree with me on that. Uh, but I mean, Brett Monson is a, is a fantastic defensive coordinator. That defense is going to be ripping. And with the amount that they're going to be able to run the ball, I think they're going to be able to protect it a lot. That's going to keep them from making big mistakes with, with some good returners they have there. Yes, they lost Sean Bain, but Peyton Logan, I think, is very underrated. To me, the Stampeders are still a 10, maybe 11 win team. I don't see them getting to 12 like they did a year ago, but Right now, the line is nine and a half. That's that means to hit the under. The Stampeders have to regress by at least three wins. I'm just not sure I see that, especially considering Nathan Rourke is no longer in your division and potentially, you know, causing you to have a couple of regular season losses. All due respect to the, to the quarterbacks currently in Vancouver, I'm not ready to bet the under on a team like the Stampeders. So I would be happy to take the over on nine and a half again. I don't think they're they're going to win the division. I don't see them as a dominant team, but do I see them as being above 500 still? The answer is yes. Yeah, I, I think that same argument can happen for the BC Lions as well. I think both of those teams, I look at them and I see 10 win teams, but I'm not sure if I see much more than that. And with the line set at nine and a half, you're one bad injury away from you know, that bet blowing up in your face. So I, I would stay away from those those middle ones personally just because I think there's going to be some movement and some surprises based entirely on who can stay healthy 
uh, up at the top of the West Division. And this is something I said on radio this week, and, and it's something that I still believe is true, is I do think that overall the parity in the CFL has grown even from last year. I don't think that the bad teams are going to be as bad as they've been. Like last last season, we had two four-win teams in Ottawa and Edmonton. I don't think anybody's going to going to win as few as four games this season. I think the teams at the bottom will be hitting five, six, maybe even seven wins. And the teams who are at the top, I don't think Winnipeg is going to win 15 games again. I've already said that. I have them as a 13-win team, and I don't see anybody else in this league reaching as many as 12 wins. I think that we are going to see more parity, and frankly, that is a good thing for the CFL. I don't think it's a positive thing for your league when you have people tuning into games that are blowouts or games where it's almost predetermined who is going to win, as has been the case at some times over the last couple of years. I think that this is a situation where you're going to have more close games. You're going to have teams uh, not getting crazy far ahead in the standings by Labor Day, which we've seen in the past few years, or wrapping up their division with five or six weeks to go. And I also don't think you're going to see teams having the opposite problem, where they're eliminated three weeks before the season is done. I think you're going to see more competition and ultimately, that's something I think fans should get excited about because who doesn't like close races towards the end of the year? I mean, it, it can get tiring. And, and, and as people who produce content about this league, it could become difficult at times, right, when these things are decided early. So this is a positive thing, I think, for everybody. Now time for Hodges Heritage Moment. On this day in 2011, Adam Big Hill signed with the BC Lions. The linebacker was a star at Central Washington, though he went unsigned by the NFL due to his lack of size. Big Hill won the Grey Cup and the league's most outstanding defensive player award over six seasons with the Lions before spending a year with the New Orleans Saints in 2017. He returned to the CFL the following year in 2018 as a member of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and has since won two more outstanding defensive player awards and two more Grey Cups. J.C., when I say the name Adam Bigkill, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? I think about one of the best linebackers to ever play in the CFL, a, a surefire Hall of Famer. But most importantly, I think a guy who has demonstrated exactly what an American CFL player should aspire to do and to be. He's come up here. He's put down roots in a Canadian city. He's involved deeply with the community. He's involved as a vice president of the union. And in the off season, he's really focused on building a post football career for himself. And I know a lot of players push back when guys or, or fans suggest, well, Hey, like you, you really only work half the year. And of course there is training, but there are opportunities for you to work other jobs or to advance your career or to make some money in the off season. And, Players often complain about that line of thinking, but Adam Big Hill has done exactly that. And he's done it at an extremely high level, and he may well be more successful after his Hall of Fame football career than he was during it. And that's a testament to the individual. And I think all players coming into the CFL should look to him as a shining example of how you can use your football career as a platform to get better overall and to really make a life for yourself here in Canada. Yeah, and I'll, I'll share this story really quickly. I was at the CFL Combine, as were you, JC, in Edmonton in March, and I, was, I walked into the hotel where a lot of the events were happening, and I saw 
uh, a group of players having dinner. I should say current and former players having dinner at that table was Solomon Elamimian, the president of the CFLPA, who had just been inducted into the CFL or it had just been announced that he would be inducted into the CFL or Canadian Football Hall of Fame, I should say. And so I went up to Solly and and I congratulated him. And sitting across from him was Adam Big Hill. And one of the things that I thought was, first of all, like it, it's it's amazing that Solomon is a first ballot Hall of Famer because those are very, very rare. I think there's only been 25 since the hall opened uh, some 50 plus years ago. But interestingly, he might not have been the best linebacker having dinner at that table, right? Adam Big Hill and Solomon Elamimian were longtime teammates, which is wild to think about, of course. Team 100, as they were known, 44, 56. Uh, but Biggie is just unbelievable what he's been able to do. I don't think that he's always, at least in, in recent years, been at the very top of his game. And every time I count him out or think, oh, he's he's he looks a little slow, he looks like he's He's maybe, you know, lost a step a little bit. He immediately makes me eat my words and goes out and wins another defensive player of the year award. So congratulations to Adam Bakehill on an amazing career uh, in a six time CFL all-star eight time West division all-star. And honestly, JC, he's probably going to get another all-star nod in 2023. He's still going strong well over a decade later. So what a privilege to be able to cover his career in the league in BC and, and of course in Winnipeg. It's now time for the three-minute drill. JC, the NFL has approved an emergency third quarterback bylaw. Do you think that could benefit Nathan Rourke with the Jacksonville Jaguars? Quick math here. How many QBs do Jacksonville have on, on the roster? Oh, only three. Of course it benefits Nathan Rourke. It basically guarantees him a job for next season. CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrosi told 900 CHML that the league needs, quote, more swagger, close quote, in its marketing. Do you agree? I do agree, and I love Randy Ambrosi's unironic use of the word swagger, a word that I don't think anybody has used unironically since about 2016. Uh, but yes, obviously the CFL needs more swagger in its marketing. Maybe they're going to bring back the all our balls are bigger campaign from the 1990s. We'll see. Tim Baines has reported that the Ottawa Red Blacks have lost defensive back Money Hunter to a torn pectoral muscle and receiver Shaq Evans to a broken finger. Are those big losses? I think the, the loss of Money Hunter is pretty devastating. He's a very underrated defensive back. I think one of the best corners in the league when he's healthy. And it sounds like this is going to be months of recovery, potentially the whole season here. That's a devastating in injury for Ottawa. Shaq Evans, hopefully this ends up being a short-term injury. It's four to eight weeks for a recovery from a broken finger. If he can make it four or five weeks, I think the Red Blacks will be okay in that receiving core, given some of the young talent they have coming up the pipeline. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers are expected to field a young team in their upcoming preseason game at home after playing most of their veterans on the road. Does that make sense? Well, Mike O'Shea talked about this, and he said essentially on CJOB that because the team's home opener on June 9th is Friday and their last preseason game on June 2nd is the preceding Friday, it didn't make sense to have the veterans play at home and then again just seven days later. So it did make sense. I think we're, it's just backwards, right? Typically, again, we see home 
home teams field their veterans and then they rest them on the road. The Bombers have done the opposite, but it's it's to give their veterans more time to rest because it is kind of strange to have a preseason game and then a regular season game literally the, the like one week after. That is that is a pretty short turnaround. The BC Lions have hired Mike Benavides as a special teams consultant after Don Janowski, the club's special teams coordinator, left the team due to an unexpected family matter. Is that a good hire for the Lions? I think it's a very good hire. I, I have a lot of respect for Mike Benavides, both as a person and as a coach. You know, hopefully everything is all right for Coach Janowski on the home front and that all clears up but i have been critical of him over the last little bit in terms of his special team scheme i think the lines could actually benefit from having benavides in-house taking over that unit and see them improve in 2023 the toronto argonauts have named daryl mookie mitchell and damon allen as all-time argos as part of their 150th anniversary celebration is that deserved hodge Absolutely. Damon Allen did not play for the Argos for a lot of his career. I remember him primarily as a member of the BC Lions, though, depending on how old you are, right? People older than me would think of him probably as a member of the Edmonton football team. People younger than me probably think of him as a member of the Toronto Argonauts. But you couldn't have two more deserving players. I mean, Daryl Mookie Mitchell was a, uh, I mean, I mean, first he was a number one receiver in that offense. But uh, you wouldn't find many guys who had as much volume, right? We sometimes talk about volume receivers as guys who, who make a ton of catches. Well, when he was at his peak in Toronto, he was getting the ball literally every drive. I think he holds the CFL record still for catches in a season. And it's it's unbelievable. 180 or something ridiculous like yeah, that. So, something preposterous. I mean, Daryl Mookie Mitchell was Toronto's offense for a few years there. So well-deserved. Absolutely. Logan Bonner, rookie quarterback, played well for the Calgary Stampeders this past week, while Brian Scott was excellent for the Argos, and Tyrell Pigrome briefly lit it up for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Which rookie passer impressed you the most? Well, we haven't seen Logan Bonner get a ton of reps yet. The the work he had that nice quarter in the first preseason game and then played well in the inner squad scrimmage, which our own Ryan Ballantyne was good enough to attend and report on i'm excited to see him in this next preseason game and, and see more of him and what he can do so he's the one i'm most excited for as for who impressed me the most this past week it was pogrom he's dynamic with his feet and i think there might be a spot for him on the back end of that bombers roster just because of how athletic he is and how fast he is Martez Ivy has reported to training camp with the Edmonton Elks after opening it on the suspended list. Is that a big ad for the club? Yes, I think Ivy is the best American offensive lineman on the Elks roster. I think he was penciled into that left tackle spot, and now he's going to be in a position to grab it. And, and the question for me is, do they then put Andrew Garnett at right tackle, or do they leave Josiah St. John there? Because Josiah St. John, first overall pick, of the 2016 CFL draft out of Oklahoma, I think was supposed to be a ratio-breaking tackle. Wouldn't it be something if seven years later he became that for Chris Jones? And I don't mean that disrespectfully. I mean that earnestly. That would be a, a fantastic coup for the Elks if they can get a Canadian right tackle playing well for, for not a ton of money because they didn't have to spend a lot of money to get him from Saskatchewan. Ryan Ballantyne, our reporter out of Calgary, 
wrote an article for Three Down this week comparing CFL head coaches to characters from HBO television series Succession. Have you ever watched that show? Yeah. I watched the first episode, and I'm embarrassed to admit I, I didn't really get into it and then got distracted by other things. So I have not seen the show that everyone is talking about. I have, however, watched Ted Lasso and watched the finale last night. So I was distracted by another big TV show coming to an end this week. By all accounts, Ryan did a good job with this article. It got a lot of engagement. So to those of you who enjoyed Succession and are sad that it ended, maybe go back on the site, read this article, and and, and relive some of those characters through CFL head coaches. The Montreal Alouettes have signed defensive end Avery Ellis, who was with the club last season before being traded to the Edmonton Elks. Is that a good move? I do think it's a good move, but something that I think is wild is this is now the second time in two years that the Alouettes have traded an American defensive end. Last season, they traded Antonio Simmons to Edmonton and then signed him back after the Elks cut him. It's 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 crazy that it happened twice. This is almost verging on Sean Lemon territory where he got traded from Toronto to B.C., multiple times like this is this is wild so that was my main takeaway is wow this has happened again but we'll, we'll wait and see Avery Ellis I, I don't think has ever been a, a complete star coming off the edge for the outlets but he's been a very consistent contributor and role player there so the more you can do to up your pass rush the better especially with Nick Usher being nicked up a, a little bit in training camp with them on that note, we thank you as always for listening to the Three Down Nation podcast. We'll join you next Wednesday for another episode, which JC will be our last one before the regular season officially gets underway. I know everyone's excited for that.